0: We are in a series called God's Wisdom for LA Life. How do we live God's way in this wonderful but crazy city called LA? And this morning, we're looking at the topic of God's wisdom for overcoming offense. God's wisdom for overcoming offense. In Proverbs nineteen eleven, it says this, A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. So easy, isn't it, to be offended? (laughs) Offended on a daily basis. We can feel misinterpreted. We can feel misjudged. We can feel criticized, cut off, rejected, betrayed, looked down upon, overlooked, or left out. It's so easy today to be offended. And yet Proverbs says to us that the way to a fruitful life, the way to fruitfulness in your relationships, health, in your marriage and your relationship with your kids and your colleagues and your community is to be someone who finds it easy to overlook an offense, to not get offended, to let it go. As Taylor Swift would say, shake it off. That there is something about overlooking offense which brings life, which brings health. The Hebrew word to overlook here is a very unusual one. It's not the word commonly used to forgive. It literally means to overlook, to come across an obstacle in your journey. And this word abor, this Hebrew word abor, means to find an obstacle on your path and you decide that you're not going to stop and deal with it, but you're just going to pass straight through it. That you decide, you know what? I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to let it become an issue. I'm not going to get swept along by it. But in fact, I'm going to choose to pass over it. To overlook doesn't mean, therefore, to bury. It doesn't mean to just ignore that it never happened. It doesn't mean that you pass through it but take it with you in bitterness. It means that you've decided that you're going to step over it and not carry it with you into the future. Now, just to say, we don't do this for every offense. There are some offenses that wisdom says that we are to stop at and deal with. In Proverbs 27, it says, Better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, there are significant offenses, patterns of destructive behavior, abuse, or injustice that we are called as Christians to stop and deal with, not just to pass through it, but to deal with it, to remove it. But most offenses, most things that we can be offended by are not these big obstacles. Now, The Proverbs is saying that you would be wise if you can grow in being able to get through them, to pass by. And in fact, your life will be damaged if you decide every single grievance, every single piece of injustice, every single feeling of offense you try and deal with. The proverb says it's to your glory that you are able to overlook an offense. It's to your glory. In other words, it's a sign of your deep maturity. It's a sign that you have understood who you are in Christ and that you can treat others as Christ treats us. Dallas Willard said, a mature Christian is someone who is almost impossible to offend. Almost impossible to offend. It is to your glory, it is to your good that you can overlook offenses. Otherwise, we bring toxicity into our lives. I don't know about you, but when I'm struggling to overlook an offense, there's a little seed of bitterness that gets in criticism that gets in. And before I know it, that this seed has grown and I'm, I pull away from relationships. I pull away from being gracious and generous. I start to build walls that separate from people who I might get offended about in the future. And I start to live an isolated life, bitter, lonely, and not trusting anyone in case they offend me. What starts out small can accumulate where marriages start to break apart, churches start to split, friendships and family starts to break down. It is to your glory that you can overlook an offense. So how do we do it? How do we overlook an offense? Well, The Hebrew word to overlook, as I said, is to literally pass over something, to look beyond it. When we are overlooking an offense, we are overlooking the offense to looking at something else. And I want to give you four things that you can look at in order to help you overlook the offense. The first is this. We can overlook the offense by looking at the motive looking at the motive of the person that you are about to be offended by. Proverbs 16.2 says this, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. The Lord looks at our motives. The Lord looks at our heart. In fact, in Samuel, isn't it, is that famous verse that says, the world looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so often we are offended because we are looking at what people say or do and don't look over it to their hearts. To overlook an offense is to choose to look at the person, the heart, the motive behind what they've done. And so often when I do that, I realize that I'm offended by their words, but I realize that they were never meaning to hurt me. They were never meaning to to offend. Someone once said that we tend to judge us, others by their behavior, but ourselves by our intentions. Have you ever been in that situation where someone's been offended by something you've said, and you go, oh no, but I didn't mean it. It just came out wrong. Don't Look at my heart. And yet, when someone offends us, we don't look at their heart. We look at what they did. We look at what they say. Begin to look at someone's heart, what they mean, what they're trying to say. I remember working in Switzerland, and I worked for a boss who was from an amazing country I love, and she was a great boss, and, but she came from a culture that was used to being quite blunt with their truth. And it was a wonderful culture, uh, the Dutch culture. I worked in Holland for a bit. I loved it. loved them. Amazing. But I remember I had to get used to how my boss would speak to me. And I remember coming in one day fairly early in my uh, role with her, and I remember walking in, and she looked at me and said, good morning, girl. You look a bit fat this morning. (laughs) Thank you, Elliot. Good morning to you. (laughs) <laughs> and then I remember a few days later, I walked in and she went, Good morning, girl. Have you had a new haircut? Not as good as the last one. <laughs> I go, Thank you, Elliot. Good morning to you. <laughs> now, as a British person, that's the ultimate rudeness. And I could have taken on board and been offended and pulled away and criticized and gone to the water cooler and said, I can't believe how mean she is. And yet, I got to know her and realized When she said, Gare, you look a bit fat this morning, it was actually her way of saying, are you okay? (laughs) And when she said, your haircut's terrible, the last one was much better, it was her way of encouraging me. Gare, you know, you looked great last time. You should go back to that person. (laughs) I had to learn with her to overlook the words, to look at her heart. And when I did that, I realized her heart was for me. Her heart was trying to help. How easy is it for us to read a social media post, to overhear a comment? That's something we react to. But if we just paused and say, you know what? God looks at my heart. I say stupid stuff all the time. I wonder what they really meant. I'm going to overlook the offense because I'm looking at their motive. I'm looking at their heart. Secondly, we can overlook an offense by looking at what God is doing in you through this offense. Overlook the offense by looking at what God is doing through the offense in your heart often when I'm offended, I don't never look inward, I only look outward. I think you made me feel bad, you made me feel hurt, you're to blame. I am therefore going to ghost you, or critique you, or to run away from you. But actually what I've learned is that God allows things into our hearts to heal our hearts. And often in my case, The issue is not the person and what they said. The issue is I have a trigger in my heart, an unhealed wound or insecurity, that it's so easy for some unsuspecting person to step on it by accident. And I have all these feelings, and instead of realizing that they are because of my wound, I blame the other. Sometimes we're so offended by every criticism or feedback or when we're overlooked, or we're not invited to something, and it's not because they're being mean, it's because I am insecure in who I am in Christ. I am insecure in my identity, my significance, my worth, and many of us have had that narrative all our lives, that we are no good, that we are overlooked, that we are good for nothing, and that wound is so open that anybody who slightly says something that might be interpreted that way, triggers a volcano in our hearts. But Christ has come that he may heal those wounds, that he may fill us with his significance, fill us with the value that he gives to us that we can refuse to be offended when others overlook us. Tim Keller writes this, if you find that any wrongdoing immediately cools you to another and you want to insist on your right to an apology, do some self-examination regarding the level of your emotional humility and emotional wealth in Christ. It is clear that there are plenty of times we should not correct and not seek an apology, even when one is owed. The stronger a Christian you are, the less sensitive and easily hurt you will be. When people zing you, snub you, ignore you, or let you down in some way, it should not immediately cool you to them. See, I know I'm more easily offended when I am empty in my relationship with Christ. When I am filled with how he loves me, filled with the significance that he has for me, filled with his worth over me, filled with his presence and the love of the Father. When I'm filled with these things, I am not so easily offended by what others say. preachers often get together and share jokes about preaching, and we all have this one thing in common, is that when you preach afterwards, you're in a really vulnerable position because you feel extra sensitive. Because you've just done something spent hours on it and you think oh no how did it go and sometimes we can put our significance into our preaching did people like it did people approve of it and so often we pray for each other and encourage each other and say look our security is in christ only and don't worry about what people say but sometimes it's hard and we sell stories about how sometimes people come up to us and say things that they didn't mean But we have to guard against. I remember some of the things that we uh, have heard, and I have heard them or friends have heard them after a preach. One person came up to someone in our city, a great preacher in our city, and came up to him and went, oh, you know what? That's a great passage. Have you ever heard Tim Chaddick preach on that passage? He is amazing. You should listen to Tim on that passage. It's like, thank you very much. I remember someone coming up to me and saying, oh, Gare, it's great to be here today. Um, I really want to be fed by good sermons. Do you know of any preacher who could really feed, like podcasts? Can you give me a list of preachers I can podcast? I really want to be fed. I went, absolutely. And I gave him some other people to listen to. But people don't mean it. But it's interesting when I'm empty and finding my significance from other people or finding my self worth, how people like me, that I can be vulnerable to offense. And yet, when people say stuff, and I'm filled with Christ, you know, I just faithfully preach the word, the results are God's, not mine. I'm just trying to be a faithful servant and a steward of my gift. And if people like it or don't like it, it's all for His glory, and I'm okay. It's because. My heart is filled with the love and affection of Jesus Christ. So sometimes we can overlook an offense by realizing that that the offense itself is God's wake-up call to deal with something in here. Don't blame, but present your heart to the Lord and say, Lord, why am I so easily offended? J.D. Greer wrote this. He said, if you know God's love and forgiveness then there is a limit to how deeply another person can offend you. He or she can't touch your real identity, your real wealth, or your significance in Christ. Okay, thirdly, we can overlook the offense by looking at the cross. Looking at the cross. Paul knew that the cross changed how he viewed himself and how he viewed other people. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he wrote this, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them all. I am the worst of them all. See, when we're easily offended, we don't say I am the worst of them all, we say you are the worst of them all. My children, my spouse, my boss, that person on social media, how outrageous! And we forget how outrageous we are before the Lord. How we all mess up, how we all have wounds and hurts and pains that we react out of, how we all works in progress. That We forget, don't we, that church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. That people are simply, almost all the time, living out some kind of trauma. Trauma, Living out of a wound in their life. And there's no truer saying, isn't there, that hurt people hurt people. I wonder how many people I've hurt. And I wonder how Paul must have felt when he wrote this in Colossians 3.13. He said, make allowance for other people's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Nicky Gumbel, the pastor of a church in London and the author of the Alpha Course said this, there is a story behind every person a reason why they are the way they are. Don't be quick to judge, but be kind and assume the best. Isn't that what we wish people would do for us? And that is what we are to do for others, knowing that we have been forgiven much and we are to forgive others. I think 2020 has been a culture where hurt people have took to Twitter to hurt other people. And our response can either be, how dare you hurt me, and hurt back. Or we can pray and say, Lord, what must their journey have been like to write that? What must their journey have been like? Lord, I have no idea what they've been through. I have no idea what it means to have grown up in that environment or be treated like that in this environment. And yes, Lord, I can react because the way they said that maybe wasn't the best way. Or maybe they have been angry. Or maybe they've criticized. But Lord, I wonder what it'd be like if you treated me that way. (laughs) I'd have much to justify your anger. But you treat me with grace. And I want to treat others the same way. Look at the cross. And treat each other through the lens of the cross. And then finally, We can overlook the offense by looking at the prize and the gold of the relationship. We can overlook the offense by looking at the prize of what God has given you in this relationship. Proverbs 17.9 says this, He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends relationships are god's greatest gift to us god is a communal person god the father god the son and god the holy spirit and when he made us in his image he therefore had to make us as communal relational beings which is why having no friends is torture why isolation is so horrible why all of our lives are lived with people because we love friendship is it no surprise then that the devil wants to come in and divide friends, to separate. And he does it through little things called offenses. A little offense, they didn't call me back. A little offense, I overheard that they may have criticized me. A little offense, of I wasn't invited. A little offense, of they snapped at me. And what we find is if we don't overlook these little offenses to the prize of a beautiful, lifelong, amazing relationship and community, we can sabotage what God has given us in these gifts by, by these daily little offenses that cause us to retreat, to pull back, and live in isolation. See, with intimacy becomes the inevitability of daily rubbing up against each other. And guess what, you are not smooth to rub up against, and I'm not either. In your marriage, in your children, with your church, with your colleagues, with your neighbors, with intimacy becomes rubbing up, and little knocks and little nicks, because we're all broken. We all have bad days. Some of us are morning people, some of us are evening people. Some of us can have times of stress and busyness. Sometimes it's just a sugar rush or a caffeine rush. It turns you into a monster. We could have different personalities, different cultures, different styles. And all of these can produce little knocks every day that we can either decide, oh, I don't like these knocks, and so we abandon. Or we can say, the prize of this relationship, the beauty of it, the lifelong nature of it, is more important than the daily little niggles that will inevitably come. We overlook the offense by looking at the beauty of the relationship. You see, every relationship has a five-stage cycle that we live through. The first stage is this, excitement. Oh my word, you're amazing. You look so beautiful. You, You complete me. You know, oh my word, Ash, you're the best pastor I have ever met. You know, it's just just uh, so amazing in every way. The perfect Ash. You know, and then expectations. The next stage of expectation is therefore you bring expectations. Oh my word, you are now going to complete me. You are now going to be the perfect pastor. You are now going to be the best boss in the world. You are now going to be the perfect roommate. With such high expectations, stage three is inevitable, and stage three is disillusionment. Disillusionment. Haven't quite got there with my relationship with Ash yet, but but with others, but with others, it's like oh my word, you're not perfect. You let me down. You're you know what? You didn't complete me. Oh my word, this church isn't perfect. Oh my word. Now, stage three is disillusionment. Stage five is health and a deep, lifelong relationship, but you have a choice to go from stage three to five, and no one can force you to do it. Stage four, to go from disillusionment to health, you have a choice, and that choice is either to overlook the offense or to opt out of the relationship, to opt out of the church, to opt out of the job to opt out of the friendship, to opt out of the marriage, to opt out, to opt out, to opt out. And if you opt out, guess what happens? You just start back with excitement with something else and opt out again at stage four. Proverbs says, or you can be wise and overlook. Overlook and realize that these daily niggles will happen. We're, we're different. We all, we all will let each other down. But the prize of the good and the gold of the relationship is worth the overlook. See, as the worship team comes up now, this is where we look to Jesus, right? Who saw the offenses of humanity and decided, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm not going to give you the deserts of what your behavior demands, but I'm going to overlook. I'm going to take them to the cross. I'm going to carry them myself. That You can live in the freedom of the cross. I love that every day all of our offenses have been nailed to the cross so that every day Jesus can treat us not according to our ongoing offenses but according to his great love for us. I resonate with the Apostle Peter so much in the Bible. I think we all do because Peter messed up all the time. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he messed up big time. He denied Jesus three times. And I don't know about you, but if one of my best friends denied me three times on my, the day of my greatest need, I might be offended. But it said that Jesus loved him. And after the resurrection, it didn't say so. Jesus took him out for coffee to sort out the dispute. It said while Peter was fishing, Jesus appeared on the lakeside, gave him some amazing advice on where to get the fish and made him breakfast. Peter, realizing that the one he'd betrayed was overlooking and loving him, swam across to meet him on the beach. And Jesus didn't take him to task. He didn't say, how dare you? He simply said, Peter, I love you. Do you love me? See, we have an opportunity in times of offense to restore, to build, to deepen the relationship in the way that Jesus deepened it with Peter, in the way that every day Jesus does with us. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Let's stand together. I'd love you to close your eyes just as we come to worship now. And Father, we welcome you by your Spirit to speak to us and to fill us in our hearts. We are far too easily offended. I, I probably, I'm probably fair to say I can say that collectively. But Lord, help us to be so filled with you that as followers of Christ, we are able to look over the offense to treat others as you treat us, to restore relationships, to build them, to commit to them, to see the fruit of them come out. Forgive us where we've opted out, where we've been offended and drawn boundaries up. Lord, help us love others as you love us. We come to you now. Fill us afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen.